I always enjoy looking at the uh, the adjectives that are in the songs that we sing. That this the streams of mercy that are never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise. Now, did you take that adjective into consideration? <laughs> Ephesians chapter six. We look. Uh, we are returning to verses ten. Through 20. The title of the sermon this morning is Arrayed in Gospel Armor from Head to Toe. Arrayed in Gospel Armor from Head to Toe. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your perfect work for and in us in Jesus Christ. The sure confidence of its victory, even as we look for the fullness of these things to be revealed to us when our Savior returns. And so as we wait for you, O Heavenly Father, to send your Son back to us in the fullness of his glory and his kingly power, We pray and ask that you would use your word within our hearts and minds and our souls so that your love may abound in us more and more and more as we mature in Christ and as we increase with all knowledge and discernment in him so that we may be able to approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless for that coming day of Jesus Christ. Fill us, O God, with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus to the glory and praise of you, O Heavenly Father. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. One of my favorite stories is Pilgrim's Progress. It has been a story that uh, has grabbed my attention 
uh, early on in my Christian life and because I really enjoyed the presentation of the way that Bunyan unfolds for us. What does it mean to follow Christ? And he provides so many different examples and different situations and things that, that the people of God are going to run into as we are following Christ as pilgrims who are going from this world to the world to come. Several years ago, there was an abridged version of Pilgrim's Progress that was put forth to be a little bit more readable, especially for some younger people, and to make sure that people would know the difference between Pilgrim's Progress and this new abridged version, they gave it a new title. And the new title is, anybody know? The Dangerous Journey. And that is because what it means to be drawn out of darkness and into the kingdom of God's beloved Son is that we are now on a dangerous journey. Not danger from the perspective of that there is anything that can keep us from arriving to the celestial city. But it is danger because it is not a friendly, easy, sashaying through the gardens looking for that new city to come. It is a journey, and it is fraught with peril. There are thorns, there are thistles, there are potholes, there are enemies. And so Paul, in writing to this this young church that came into existence in the midst of great conflict, closes his discussion to them. As he, has, as he continues this discussion of putting off the old and putting on the new, he exhorts his church to resist the insidious and clever attacks of the devil and his evil cosmic allies. Our participation in the life and mission of the peacemaking Christ brings us into conflict with and determines how we relate to the dark cosmic forces that are arrayed against our Christ and his purposes. The victory is won. The victory is sure. And as we wait for the fullness of that victory to be revealed in its consummated form, we stand with Christ against the last desperate attacks of the evil one and his malevolent allies. God has indeed dealt a fatal blow, but the flaming darts of the doomed regime continue to assail us. Now, beloved, what Paul is trying to help us to see through this extravagance of Christ is that he has empowered us to do all that we need to do to stand with Christ against the ongoing tantrums of the defeated dark forces. And the way that we do this is in cultivating the strength of His might rather than relying 
on the limitations of our old fallen selves. Now, given the seriousness of what is coming to this early church, this church in Ephesus, as it is, is, is also, by the way, the same challenges that are facing the church today, opposition and persecution, with the attending fallout dangers of discouragement, defection, martyrdom. Paul's exhortation is confident and it is free of anything that suggests anxiety or panic. And it is also free of anything that suggests the need for control. The call is to stand in what Jesus has achieved for us by cultivating and acting in the strength of his might, which he used in raising Jesus from the dead that is at work within us who believe. And so throughout this letter, and even here at the very end, Paul emphasizes these themes of practicing resurrection living, where we are to accurately perceive the enemy and his tactics, where we are to maintain a practiced readiness in living a life of glory now. And as all of this is built on top of and fueled by prayer, to live in his strength, he says, we are to put on his armor. This is not simply the armor that God gives to us, as we saw last week. It is the armor that God himself has worn. There is no doubt that the armor of a Roman soldier is probably on Paul's mind and would probably be on the mind of of the original audience. But the source of this armor, we found, is not in uh, what you see in the, in a, on a Roman soldier. In fact, as we note, Paul is in jail. He is chained to, uh, to a guard. That guard would not be wearing this armor. Um, the, a Roman legion would be wearing that armor in battle, uh, not uh, overwatching a pastor. The source here, we said, in, in looking at Isaiah 11, Isaiah 59, uh, we could also, we could have looked at Isaiah 52 with regards to the feet and the shoes of the readiness of the gospel. Isaiah describes the divine warrior coming to do battle against the powers of darkness, especially in the promised Messiah. And God wages battle, we are told in Isaiah, with his sword, and his feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, having armor that is able to withstand and overcome anything and everything. 
And in addition to what you see in the imagery running throughout the book of Isaiah was uh, within the Israelite wisdom literature, that, that extra biblical uh, literature that was forming and shaping so much of the expectations of God's people. If you read the wisdom of Solomon or if you read the Psalms of Solomon, you see this image of the divine warrior dressed in this armor coming to do battle. We strap on the armor that belongs to Yahweh and his Messiah, as they are described as wearing them in the Old Testament in the wisdom literature of Israel. This is not just some armor God gives us. He dresses us in his. And so as we said last week, we fight as warriors dressed in the armor of the divine warrior himself. And as those now aligned with God, his purposes, his cross, his resurrection, life, his victory, his fight, we are warriors dressed in his armor, fighting in the strength of his limitless might. This is who we are as God's people. And this is what he has blessed us with in Christ. And so throughout this letter, what Paul has been unfolding for us as he brings it to consummation here at the end is that we as the people of God are so blessed that blessing is the stated condition of those united with Christ and filled with the Holy Spirit. Amidst the world that confronts us with demands, criticism, misunderstanding, mistrust, manipulation, rivalry, getting and spending, lies and seduction. Is there anything in this world like what we have in Jesus Christ, which is sheer unqualified blessing? All the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places are ours as those made alive, raised up, and seated with Christ in the heavenly places where we participate in the resurrection life now, where we live present to God's triune presence now. We are immersed in a world of spirit gifts given and received and exercised in and through Jesus Christ, where grace is the environment of the comprehensive and continuous interchange of all the operations of the Trinity in us and in which we embody and practice with one another. Are you seeing yourself in Christ right now? And yet, as we wait, we need deliverance. We need deliverance from the evil one. But we need deliverance not just from the obvious evil. We need deliverance from evil that doesn't look like evil. We need deliverance from the schemes and the wiles of the crafty father of lies himself. The one who has done such a wonderful job of developing his own skills of manipulation, confusion, chaos, deceit, and concealment. 
That's how he works. But what is drawing our attention here uh, is that the heavenly places, that the realities of the heavenly places are the armor that God has blessed us with. Not manipulation, confusion, chaos, deceit, or concealment, but blessing, order, revelation. As we are slogging through the quagmire of the difficult to detect deceit, it can be easy to try to become fearful, uneasy, and untrusting. When these things come upon us, it is quite easy to sink into the quicksand of paranoia and panic, never quite sure where the evil is coming from or how the evil will show itself to us. It puts us off balance. And so often one of the responses that that we have in trying to, to not feel off balance or not to feel deceived or not to feel unsure, one of the ways that we try to deal with it is to keep evil at a distance. We think, if I can just keep it away from me, then I'll be safe. But the problem is you can't. Because part of the evil that you're dealing with is the evil that still exists within you. The evil that still exists within your marriage. The evil that still exists within every relationship you have. The same evil that exists in every interaction that you have with everyone and everything in a fallen, cursed world. You can't distance yourself from it. But when you try to, 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 to be on guard by distancing yourself from it, what it can do is it can lead you to live a negative spirituality where we start defining ourselves by what we are not, or we start defining ourselves by what we are against, rather than defining ourselves by who we are and what we have in the fullness of Christ indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We can develop lines in the sand that God himself has not given We can join forces with moral demagogues that through sheer force of the will can try to keep evil at a distance, and it doesn't work. And what it does is it robs you of the power of standing in the strength of his might because you're trying to stand through the limitations of yourself. But this is not the way of Paul because this was not the way of Jesus. Jesus loved to encourage the fearful to trust in the faithful love of the covenant-keeping God. Jesus loved to obliterate the man-made traditions of the Pharisees. And Jesus pointed us to his Father and to his Word. Beloved, standing firm will not come as a result of keeping evil at a distance, for it is always present. No, what we need to do, Paul says, is put on the whole armor of God. So what's that armor? Well, hold up real quick before we do that. From this point forward, going to do a group counseling session i'm just joking well kind of what i want you to do right now 
is I want you to think about what is that thing right now? What is that thing right now in your life that is tempting you not to walk well? What is that struggle that you are having right now? It may be something emotional. It may be something physical. It might be cancer. It might be broken relationships. It might be strained fellowship. It might be the temptation not to trust the church. There are so many things that can, that can tempt us to, to, to not walk well in Jesus Christ. So many things that can tempt us not to stand in the strength of his might, but instead to either shrink back or to try to control. And every one of you, including me, we have these things, and, and most of us, when we come here, there is something pressing. I want you to be thinking about what is that thing pressing in on your heart today. And, and as we move through the armor of God, I want you to see how the armor itself directly uh, addresses the issue that is pressing upon your heart today. So I want you to be thinking that as we look through this armor. The dark forces are trying to trick you in order to cause you to trip and to stumble. But from head to toe, we are arrayed in gospel armor. The fight is spiritual, so our resources for fighting are supernatural. What is that armor? Well, that armor is truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, and the spirit-filled word of God. That's your armor. Those are gifts that God has given gifted you in Christ. Gifts that are embodied in Christ himself. You see, that's what our union with Christ does, is that it draws us into Christ in such a way that what is his becomes ours. And what Jesus did as he, as he came from the heavenly places and as he manifested his Father and, and as, he, as he embodied the, the law of God and, and the perfections of the glory of that law, as Jesus embodied those things, his life was marked by truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, and the, the filling of the Holy Spirit in the Word of God in which Jesus Himself was constantly quoting. When Jesus was faced with the temptation of the evil one who was trying to keep Jesus from going to the cross, what was Jesus' responses over and over and over? Have you not heard that it is said, and he would cite 
to his father's word over and over and over because Jesus was the incarnation of that word. Our armor is truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, and the spirit-filled word of God. The metaphor that Paul uses for truth here is this belt of truth. It is the idea of that that belt that would go around the waist that the soldier would need in order to make sure that the rest of the pieces of armor were held together and would work in concert with one another so that he could be efficient and effective in wearing that armor and fighting the good fight. This idea of truth here, by the way, is, is not another way of saying God's word, right? God's word comes later with the sword of the Spirit. What is being discussed here is this idea of the internalization of truthfulness. What is it that is at the heart of Jesus, his, uh, Jesus Christ as he gifts to his people, but the indwelling of the truth, so that our lives can be lived out and carried out in truthfulness. It's about integrity. It is about fidelity. It is about embodying that that living, dwelling truth of God internalized in the deepest recesses of our hearts. We have this truthfulness that is a gift to us that everything else hinges on and works from there is a breastplate of righteousness where the christian life is consciously lived out in a way where our basic defense against the onslaughts of the dark forces is for us to stand there in the righteousness of jesus christ and i can tell you when you're not doing that Because it is when you come to me wrestling with fear and with shame and with guilt that is not yours to be struggling with. Especially when the darts that have been fired at you are the sins of other people where they blame you for their sin. And guess what? Some of you are nice enough people that you actually believe that lie. Some of us are not nice, and we're like, yeah, whatever. But some of you are nice. Some of you are sensitive. Some of you will actually consider the lie from another person, and you will start trying to carry something that's not yours to carry. And it will result in fear and anxiety and shame and guilt. Beloved, it is the righteousness of Christ that is your breastplate. And that's what you stand behind. Not your own righteousness and not your own failures at righteousness, but his righteousness. And look, if you start to do that thing we just talked about, carrying something not yours, come talk to me so I can help you let go of it. I love to do that. Breastplate of righteousness, shoes of your feet so that you are ready to engage. And the engagement that you are ready to do is the peace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Shield of faith. 
so that as the fiery darts of the, of the enemy are being fired, we have this shield. And at the, 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 the type of shield that Paul is referencing here was one that was about four feet tall, about two and a half feet wide. It would have covered about half of me, but back then, people that size, it pretty much covered their entire bodies. And it was, it was covered in leather, and that when they would go into battle, the leather would be moistened so that it would be wet. And what would happen is when the enemy would fire these, these arrows that were on fire, they'd hit the shield, and the fire would go up. So the arrow wouldn't touch their body, and the fire was not a threat. And so they had this shield, and we do too, that shield of faith that as we trust in the realities of what Jesus has accomplished and given to us, when we stand in that trust, even though the, the arrows are coming, they cannot kill you. Though they are on fire, they cannot burn you. He extinguishes those, those darts, and he keeps you safe. But as you are actively exercising faith in Jesus Christ. There is a helmet of salvation in which the totality of what God is accomplishing in Christ is gifted to us. And there is the sword of the the Spirit-filled Word that can help us defensively and it can help us offensively. Do you see what's happening here? The armor that's being listed here, it's the effects and consequences of the incarnation of Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross and resurrection. These are the blessings of the gospel. The blessings of the gospel are your armor. You never, you never as a Christian get to the point where you go beyond the gospel, where you need something beyond that. You go deeper and deeper and deeper into this reality. And so by connecting the imagery of armor to these gospel realities, Paul sharpens the sense of danger, and he heightens the, the, the apocalyptic urgency that is involved in this battle but not so that it is to scare us, but so that we are reminded to stand in the strength of his might, which is limitless, and not in the limitations of our old selves. The military metaphors here are not the focus. The gospel realities are the focus. And this armor is the embodiment the internalization of the life of the Trinity. Truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, spirit-filled word. Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is the armor of God because it is who God is and it is the means by which he accomplishes his purposes. It is who God is making us to be in Christ. It is the, the armor that he has worn because it is himself. 
And so what this means is this armor can be trusted completely. There is no chink in it. It can be trusted completely to enable you to stand and to fight in God's might, wearing God's armor. And you can rely on this armor because Jesus himself utilized it himself and proved it to be absolutely effective. Jesus never fell. He never gave in. He never got tricked by the wiles of the devil as he was wearing this armor. Lastly, the armor here is not merely individual. But everything described here is corporate. And the best way that I can think to explain what that means is if you, if you know anything about ancient warfare, one of the things that the, the Roman army would do with those huge, massive shields is you didn't have guys standing a couple of feet apart from one another, each holding their own individual shield, but they, they were close, they were connected, and the way that they used those shields was that there was no gaps but there was an overlap of protection so that each individual was not only protecting himself, he was protecting his brother next to him. We call this shield wall. And beloved, what it means for us to have this armor and to have it corporately in Jesus Christ is that you are not left to yourself merely as an individual to wear this. We, we embody this together. And we stand locked arm in arm with our shields being used for us and for our brothers and sisters next to us where we stand in this tight-knit, intimate setting of protection through our mutual union and communion with Jesus Christ. This is corporate. And so now, in addition to that, that personal thing for you that I've been asking you to think through as we look at this armor, as we go forth, I want you to be thinking about this church. What are the potential things that are before this church that could get us off track, that could confuse us, that could get us arguing, that could get us tricked? into thinking we're doing God's work when what we are doing is promoting personal preferences. Because, beloved, we stand together in Christ, arm in arm, covering one another with this armor that we wear that God has given us. Because the God who wore it is wrapped around us. And the Father who wore it is wrapped around the Son. They are wearing that armor, and we are tucked securely and, and, and safely, as Jesus said, in the palm of his hand, where no one, where nothing can snatch us out. Don't live a negative spiritual life but instead immerse yourself in the extravagant grace of God in Christ so that you can fight the good fight of faith.
taking hold of the eternal life to which you have been called. Stand firm then by standing together in the strength of his might, fully arrayed in the gospel armor of Jesus Christ, covered from head to toe. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, protect us from thinking that if we just create rules and regulations that we can somehow insulate ourselves from evil. But instead, Lord, help us to entrust ourselves to the superior power and might that you make available to us in Jesus Christ so that we don't have to be scared. We don't have to be fearful. We don't have to shrink back but that we also don't have to try to control and dominate. But that we can do, as Paul says, we can stand firm. And that we can be a people of truth, righteousness, faith. That we can be a, a people that, that have shoes of the gospel of peace that are ready to spread peace among your church, and out into the world. And strengthen our faith through the Spirit-filled Word as we take it in and as we cling to it and as we exercise it. Use these things, O oh Lord, not only to, to strengthen us to stand, but to show the world that there is something superior to what they see, to what they hear, that is leading to further suffering for them. But that even in the midst of the struggle that the church receives because we have been united to our Christ, even this momentary struggle that we have is nothing but the means that you are using to lead us to glory. And so, Lord, give us the sure confidence to really trust and to exercise and to engage through the armor of the gospel. And we pray this in Jesus' name.